Life here under the sun involves being confronted by evil and those who do evil, doesn't it? We live in a world where there's war in Israel and mass shootings in Maine. We live under leaders who are often tempted by power and greed and fall to that corruption. We, we, we live in a society that rejects God and exalts self as the supreme authority for each life. We work with people who break the rules and are deceptive about their work and somehow still get ahead. We live in neighborhoods where people break into your car at night and steal your golf money, for heaven's sakes. A little too personal. (laughs) It happens. It happened. But friends, it's not just them and it's not just out there. It's us. And it's in here, isn't it? Every day, inside our own hearts, we're at war with pride and selfishness, irritability and idolatry. Every day. And if that's not bad enough, it's a battle every day to respond well to the evil that's going on around us. (laughs) Because anger and cynicism, jealousy and envy, Ingratitude and discontentment, pride and prejudice well up and are too ready to get involved in the action in our own hearts. Life under the sun, here and now, involves constant confrontation with evil in us and around us. Do you feel this? I do. Well, as Christians, we desire to walk in God's righteousness instead, don't we? As Christians, we have no desire to walk in wickedness, but we have every desire to walk in God's righteousness. My question is, where do we find the motivation and help that we need to walk in righteousness when we're surrounded by so much wickedness and we experience even the wickedness that remains in our own heart? Well, the answer to that question for this morning is in Psalm 5, our sermon text for today. Please take your copy of God's Word. Look at Psalm 5, the fifth psalm. Psalm 5 is a prayer of lament in light of the ongoing conflict with wickedness that exists under the sun. And my prayer this morning is that the Lord will lead each one of us to walk in His righteousness for His glory and our good. So let's read Psalm 5. To the choir master, for the flutes, Elisa, a psalm of David. Give ear to my words, O Lord, 
consider my groaning. Give attention to the sound of my cry, my King and my God, for to you do I pray. O Lord, in the, in the morning you hear my voice. In the morning I prepare a sacrifice for you and watch. For you are not a God who delights in wickedness. Evil may not dwell with you. The boastful shall not stand before your eyes. You hate evildoers. You destroy those who speak lies. The Lord abhors the bloodthirsty and deceitful man. But I, through the abundance of your steadfast love, will enter your house. I will bow down toward your holy temple in the fear of you. Lead me, O Lord, in your righteousness because of my enemies. Make your way straight before me, for there's no truth in their mouth. Their inmost self is destruction. Their throat, it's, it's an open grave. They, they flatter with their tongue. Make them bear their guilt, O God. Make them fall by their own counsels. Because of the abundance of their transgressions, cast them out. For they have rebelled against you. But let all who take refuge in you rejoice. Let them sing for joy and spread your protection over them that those who love your name may exalt in you. For you bless the righteous, O Lord. You cover him with favor as with a shield. That's God's word. Amen, indeed. So let's understand Psalm 5 from a big picture perspective. Psalm 5 is a psalm of David. Do you see that at the very beginning? Don't overlook that inscription. It's important. The inscription says to the choir master, for the flutes, a psalm of David. So this is a psalm of David, and it's really important for us to remember that David is the king of God's kingdom, God's people on earth. King David is a type of King Jesus. And remember that we really need to do three things with every psalm in order to get it right. First of all, we need to interpret the psalm in its historic context. So King David and God's people on earth at that time, then and there. Then we need to understand the fulfillment of that psalm in and through King Jesus and his people. Then we can apply that to our lives as the people of God today. This is a psalm of David. This is also a prayer of lament. Did you notice that this is a prayer? It might have been written for the flutes to be sung by the choir master in the choir or maybe the people of God in the, in the worship service. But ultimately this, like many of our songs, is a prayer and it's a prayer of lament. That, that means that this is a cry that's coming out of the king's heart expressing deep emotion and need. 
Notice the tone of this prayer. Verse 1, give ear to my words, O Lord. Give attention, my King and my God, for to you do I pray. Look at the end of verse 1. Consider my groanings. Verse 2, give attention to the sound of my cry. This is a prayer, a cry from the heart of King David. And this is a prayer because David was being confronted by wickedness. Verse 4, wickedness and evil. Verse 5, the boastful all evildoers. Verse 6, those who speak lies, the bloodthirsty and deceitful man. In verse 8, he says, these are my enemies. David is well aware that life under the sun involves being confronted by evil and those who do evil. These enemies in verse 8, are described in verse 9 and 10 as deceitful, destructive, those who have rebelled against God. So let's understand that the enemies of King David are the enemies of God, his kingdom, and his people. Whoever's in opposition to God's king is in opposition to God himself. And they are ultimately the enemies of God's people as well. And so these enemies, in the context, if we just think of a kingdom, a community of people who are citizens under a king, these people are part of what's wrong with that community. They're they're breaking the law, they're abusing the system, they're destroying the peace, and they're hurting people. So King David prays a prayer of lament. And I want you to notice in verse 3 that this is a prayer of lament in the morning. You see that in verse 3, two different times. O Lord, in the morning you hear my voice. In the morning I prepare a sacrifice for you and watch. The fact that it's in the morning is not because King David is such a disciplined person who knows his spiritual discipline and gets up and prays every morning. The fact that it's in the morning reveals that this is the priority. This is the passion of David's heart. It's the first thing on the king's mind in the morning, and he wants to talk to the Lord about it. Psalm 5 is a prayer of lament for God to act. David's not just complaining here. It's not just, woe is me, life is hard, people are hurting. He's not complaining. I used to read the Psalms like that, like, man, get over yourself, David. There's a lot of whining and crying and complaining going on. No, no, read this. He's groaning, he's crying, he's lamenting. To God. He is asking God to do three things in light of the wickedness that's going on. First, verse 8, the first prayer. 
This is a prayer for God to lead David in righteousness. Look at verse 8. Lead me, O Lord, in your righteousness because of my enemies. Make your way straight before me. Surrounded by enemies that are proud, bloodthirsty, and deceitful, King David's first response is to pray that God will lead him to be righteous and walk in the right way rather than respond in the wrong way. Isn't that phenomenal? Lead me, O Lord. I need you to lead me so that I can lead your kingdom. Lead me in your righteousness. Make sure that I'm, as king, doing what's right rather than what's wrong. Lead me to respond in a way that you want me to respond to those who are doing evil. Make your way straight before me. The chaos of this can situation has certainly made things very cloudy, very dark. I need clarity. I need to, I need to walk in your wisdom and in your ways uh, instead of my own wisdom. First prayer, lead me in righteousness. The second prayer, verse, verse uh, 10, is it David prays for God to judge the wicked. After he prays for God to lead himself in righteousness, he prays for God to judge the wicked. Look at verse 10 and 11 there. He asks the Lord to do three things to his enemies. Pardon me, 9 and 10. Make them bear their guilt. They're guilty. You know they're guilty. I know they're guilty. Declare them guilty. Make them bear the penalty of, of the evil that they've done and don't let them off the hook, God. The second thing he prays, verse 10, let them fall by their own counsel. Boy, that's interesting. Judge them by letting them do as they please because their own actions are going to lead them to ruin. So go ahead, God. Let them fall. Third, cast them out. Why? Because of the abundance of their transgressions. Transgressions are breaking the laws of the kingdom. These are lawbreakers. Cast them out. Get them out of here. <laughs> And because they have rebelled against you. David sees himself not as the sovereign king of Israel, but God is the sovereign king. Rebellion of kingdom laws is rebellion to God himself. And so David prays, God, judge the wicked by making them bear their guilt, letting them fall, and casting them out. And what will that do? Three Finally, in verse 11 and 12, this is a prayer for God to protect his people. Do you see how judging the wicked ultimately protects his people? 
David prays in 11 and 12 that God will protect his people. But let all who take refuge in you. There's evil here. We live under the sun. It's all around us. But there are those who take refuge in you. The king confidently calls on the Lord to act on behalf of all who take refuge in him. Look at verse 12, those who love God rather than those who rebel against him. In light of wicked and deceitful and bloodthirsty people, the king appeals to the Lord. In verse 11, look at this, spread your protection over them. Look at verse 12, cover them with favor as with an iron dome, a shield. In its historic context, Psalm 5, here's here's Psalm 5 in a nutshell. This is God's king praying earnestly. That God will lead him in righteousness as he is surrounded and confronted by evil and put an end to evil and those who do evil in God's kingdom so that God's people will be protected and God will be glorified. Friends, that's the gospel of Jesus Christ. That is the gospel of King Jesus. God's King Jesus left the holiness, the perfect, holy, holy, holy of heaven and entered our world filled with evil and evildoers in order to answer the prayer of Psalm 5. King Jesus put an end to evil and protects God's people. Notice how these three prayers are answered. First of all, God led King Jesus in righteousness. Jesus was tempted by sin in every way that we are, that we are, yet without sin. He walked in righteousness. God led Jesus to walk in righteousness. Look, Jesus experienced abuse and injustice and hatred, and betrayal, and violence, and pain in a way that we will never experience. Yet, he remained and responded in righteousness every time. God led King Jesus in righteousness. Number two, God puts an end to evil through King Jesus. He judges the wicked through King Jesus. He puts an end and casts them out through King Jesus. The righteous King Jesus became a sacrificial lamb who took on himself the curse of our wickedness and evil. He sacrificed himself in our 
place, friends. On the cross, the righteous King Jesus bore all of God's wrath against our evil. He paid the penalty for our sin. And through his resurrection, the righteous King Jesus triumphed over all of the enemies of God, sin, death, Satan, and hell. God puts an end to evil through King Jesus. And finally, God protects his people through King Jesus and in King Jesus. When we take refuge in King Jesus by faith, God spreads his protection over us. He covers us with his favor, not because of who we are, but because of who we're united to. And when we were united to to Christ by faith, because Jesus is God's beloved son, we are now his beloved children, adopted into God's family and blessed with God's favor and God's protection. Friends, we will never, ever be judged and condemned for our sin, ever. (laughs) The gospel makes sinners righteous. We're now saints because of our union with Christ. And we're not left to keep our righteousness. The gospel not only makes us righteous, but the gospel keeps us righteous by ensuring that our righteousness is not our own. Our righteousness is alien. It's outside of us. Our righteousness is located where? In Christ. And it's given to us, imputed to us by faith. So our righteous standing before before God is as righteous as Jesus period, forever, end of discussion. That's really good news. God protects his people through King Jesus. Hebrews 7 says it this way, Jesus, our mediator, is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him since he always lives to make intercession for them. And ultimately, In the end, the tragedy is also a triumph. God protects his people from evil and evildoers by casting evil and evildoers out of his kingdom forever. And God makes all things new. There's a new heaven and a new earth and a new kingdom over which Jesus reigns in righteousness and peace forever. Because of the gospel of Jesus Christ, we're God's people, citizens of God's kingdom. And in this life, to be sure, 
We still live in constant conflict with the evil around us and the evil within us. And it's not just our own evil, but it's even our response to it, isn't it? In my opinion, one of the most extraordinary aspects of Psalm 5 is that King David's first response to being surrounded and confronted by evil was to pray, Lord, lead me in righteousness. He didn't first pray, Lord, judge them. His first prayer was, lead me, O Lord, in your righteousness, verse 8. And he wanted to be led in God's righteousness for God's glory and for the good of the people whom he served. This has been, this has been front and center of my thinking all week. Lord, Lead me in your righteousness so that I might display the righteousness of Christ rather than the wickedness of my old sinful flesh. Lead me, O Lord, in your righteousness so that my response is good even though others might be doing wrong. Lead me, O Lord, in your righteousness so that I can lead my home and our church in the way of righteousness. Friends, this applies to every Christian in this room, doesn't it? Elders, Let's pray, Lord, lead us in righteousness so that we can lead our church in righteousness and protect our church from evil. Husbands, husbands, pray. Lord, lead me in righteousness so that I can lead and protect my wife and my family from evil. Parents, Grandparents, pray, make your way straight before me, Lord, so that I can show these sweet children what it looks like to walk with God. Church members, lead me, O Lord, to walk in righteousness so that I can encourage my fellow members in our common struggle against sin, the sin that's in us and the sin that's in our world. Maybe students at school, workers at your job, neighbors in your community. Lead me to walk in righteousness so that as a citizen of your kingdom, I can display your beauty, your wisdom through a life marked by worship and holiness. That's stunning that this was the first cry of David's heart. And I've also been impressed and convicted this week that 
This is a morning prayer. King David prayed. Verse 3, O Lord, in the morning. You hear my voice. In the morning I prepare a sacrifice for you and watch. King David prayed in the morning because he knew that he needed to be led by God all day long. The Gospels record that was the pattern of Jesus. Rising very early in the morning while it was still dark, he departed and went out to a desolate place and there Jesus prayed. Look, friends, we would do well to start every single day, every day asking the Lord to lead us in righteousness. Is that your pattern? Is it? Some might say it. Look, it's just not possible in this season of life for me. No, friends. I'm sorry, that's a lame excuse. It just doesn't cut it. Don't let any season steal this from you and those you serve. There's always time for your heart to cry out to the Lord. For Christians, what weighs most heavily on our heart naturally comes out in prayer, even if only in groanings and sighs. Look, it's good when prayer can be focused and lengthy. But the beauty of prayer is that it can always be spontaneous while engaged in the mundane and difficult parts of life. So I'd like to encourage us from Psalm 5 to make morning prayer a priority. If you used to, let's get back to it. William Plummer said, to seek God early is to seek him earnestly. The man who gives his first and best thoughts to God will not be indisposed to acts of devotions at at later hours of the day. I'm sorry, I think there's a typo there. In other words, give your first thoughts to God and it's going to help you all day long. Listen, friends, from Psalm 5, beyond the the encouragement to pray every morning for the Lord to lead us in his righteousness. It's been really helpful for me this week to get a perspective on what motivated King David to pray this way. And I want to spend the rest of our time together on that. King David was motivated by four things that caused him to pray that God would lead him in his ways, in the midst of evil. Motivation number one, the holiness of God leads us to walk in righteousness. The holiness of God leads us to walk in righteousness. Look at verse four through six. 
For you are not a God who delights in wickedness. Evil may not dwell with you. The boastful won't stand before you. You hate evildoers. You destroy liars. The Lord abhors the bloodthirsty and deceitful man. Deeply ingrained in the Bible's depiction of God is that God hates evil. The words of David are potent. Look, God doesn't delight. He hates and abhors it. The evil are not allowed in his presence and will not stand before God in judgment. Why does God hate evil? We could spend the rest of the day answering that question, couldn't we? Why does God hate evil? I suggest it's because God's holy. He's the thrice perfectly, transcendently. Like, we don't even understand what that means completely, holy. And every form of evil is infinitely offensive to God. But not just that. God is the good creator and sovereign king of his world. Notice how King David addresses God in verse 2. The king says, my God and my king. God designed the world in perfect peace. He gave his law so that mankind could flourish in peace and in righteousness. God designed his creation in such a way that man was to love his neighbor as himself and love God with all of his heart, mind, soul, and strength. But our sin, our rebellion against God, brought chaos and curse into God's very good world. As R.C. Sproul is famous for saying, evil, even in its smallest form, is cosmic treason against God because it breaks his law and offends his nature. Sin destroys peace, hurts others, and brings misery on the sinner. Sin, in short, ruins everything. Everything. And God hates it because it ruins everything. It's not the way it was supposed to be. King David is sighing and groaning and crying out to God because this is not the way it's supposed to be. I wonder if we feel that way about evil. And we might feel that way about the evil around us, but I wonder if we feel that way about the evil in us. Do we groan and sigh and cry out to God to judge the evil inside of us and rid us of wickedness? Listen, friends, I'm convinced that the more we understand the holiness of God, the more we will abhor sin like God does 
and the more we will pray that the Lord will lead us in righteousness. If you don't find yourself praying, God, lead me in righteousness, it's because we've fallen prey to accepting the the wickedness that we live in so constantly inside of us and around us. Let's see the holiness of God more often. Motivation number two from verse seven and eight. The love of God leads us to walk in righteousness. First of all, it was the holiness of God. Now it's the love of God. Look at verse seven and eight. But I, see the contrast there, not like them, but I, through the abundance of your steadfast love, will enter your house. I will bow down toward your holy temple in the fear of you. Lead me, O Lord, in your righteousness because of my enemies. Make your way straight before me. So in contrast to those in verse 4 through 6 who are wicked and boastful and bloodthirsty, rebels against God, King David says, but I. I, I'm going to enter your house and I will bow down in fear of you rather than rebellion against you. Reverence instead of rebellion. What's the difference between David and those who are doing evil. David tells us. And he's not breaking his arm, patting himself on the back for his sterling character or wonderful upbringing in the church. What's the difference? But I, verse 7, through, because of, giving credit to what? The abundance of your steadfast love worship you. David says it's the abundant and faithful covenant love of God that causes him to worship God instead of rebel against him. God's love for David has given a David a heart to love God. Can I say that again? God's love for David, has given David a heart to love God. That's the gospel. First John chapter 4. God is love. In this, the love of God was made manifest to us that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love. Not that we have loved God, but that God loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation, the satisfaction of justice against our sin. God's love for us in and through King Jesus has changed us, made us worshipers, and caused us to desire to glorify God in his righteousness. What motivates King David is not just the holiness of God, but the love of God. And thirdly, in verse 9 and 10, we see that King David was also motivated by the judgment of God on the wicked. 
The judgment of God on the wicked leads us to walk in righteousness. Verse 9 and 10. Those are some dark verses, aren't they? The wicked are described, verse 9, from the inmost part of their self, they're bent on destruction. So that what comes out of their lips is error and deceit. What comes out of their life in verse 10 flows sin and rebellion against God. And in verse 11 and 12, their wickedness causes such harm to other people in the community that people need to be protected from them. So David's prayer is that God will make them bear their guilt, let them fall, and cast them out. Don't allow them to continue to wreak chaos and havoc in your community, God. What we learn here is a very important lesson. The judgment of the wicked is for God's glory and the good of God's people. John Calvin said, David shows how inconsistent it would be with the character of God were the wicked to be left unpunished. God, this is not who you are. David calls on God. God, you hate evil. Don't let them get away with this. But King David also prays that God will protect his people by doing something about the evil that prevails. See, friends, no matter what our culture says, no matter what our day encourages, sin is not ultimately determined by what we think is right and wrong. It's not ultimately what our society agrees is appropriate or what our government determines is lawful. Sin is ultimately defined as rebellion against God because it doesn't love God and it doesn't love others. That's it, plain and simple. And one of the most severe judgments that we see here in Psalm 5 is also echoed in Romans chapter 3. It's that God will let sinners go. Go ahead. Do what you want. Three times in Romans 1, these dreadful words of judgment are used. Therefore, God gave them up to the lusts of their hearts. For this reason, God gave them up to dishonorable passions. Since they didn't see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up to a debased mind to do what ought not to be done. Oh God, please don't give us up. Please save us from ourselves. What motivates me every morning to pray that God will lead me in his righteousness 
is God's judgment on wickedness. Please, God, don't let me do what my sinful flesh wants to do. Don't make my wife live with that kind of a man. Don't allow me to fail the people that you have called me to serve. Please, God, rescue this guy from this guy. And he has through the Lord Jesus Christ. We see four motivations in Psalm 5. The holiness of God, the love of God, the judgment of God on the wicked, and then David ends with an exclamation point. The blessing of God on the righteous. But another beautiful gospel contrast, but let all who take refuge in you, God, rejoice. Let them ever sing for joy and spread your protection over them so that those who love your name may exalt in you. For you bless the righteous, O Lord. You cover him with favor as a shield. In contrast to the dark and dreadful judgment of God on the wicked, David concludes with the beautiful songs of joy and shouts of exultation that come from those who take refuge in God, those who love the Lord rather than rebel against him. And about them, David says, the Lord is always faithful to bless them, protect them, cover them with his favor. Now look, it's true that that God that God blesses those who follow the path of righteousness. That's true, okay? There's God objectively externally blessing those who are on the path and walking on the path of righteousness. It's a good way to go. Go that way. You'll be blessed. But friends, what Psalm 5 is doing here is the same thing that Psalm 1 did. God's way of righteousness is God's blessing to us. The way of the wicked leads to destruction. But when God captures our heart and gives us a heart to walk in his ways... That is his blessing to us. And that is his protection for us. And so as the Lord leads us in his righteousness and we follow him in in obedience, we and those who we live with experience the blessing of life the way God intended it to be. We can experience that here and now. Like your marriage can experience sweet peace and harmony and righteousness instead of chaos and anger and division. But it requires repentance and faith. The Christian life is a constant lifestyle of repentance and faith turning away from what comes so naturally to us and turning 
by faith to follow Jesus on the way of self-denial and sacrifice to love others instead. Friends, Psalm 5 has shown us that the holiness of God, the love of God, the, the judgment of God, and the blessing of God on the righteous motivates us to pray every morning and walk every day in God's righteousness. And may we do that for his glory and for the good of others. Amen. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you so much for the gospel that makes us righteous, keeps us righteous, and empowers us to walk in the way of righteousness. I pray that you would show us your holiness, show us more of your love, show us the judgment on the wicked, and show us the blessing on the righteous so that every day we're motivated to ask you to lead us in righteousness. Thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.